is going on, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 125 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and the longest road trip of the season is officially complete. I am back home, the Rangers are back home, and for the first time in franchise history, the Rangers swept a five-game road trip. So we have a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. Things are going quite well for this team right now, so we're going to talk about a lot of the positive things that are going on. We're also going to get into maybe some of the correctable things or the things that they're trying to work on right now. And our guest this week is going to help us get set for a matchup that as far as this early in the regular season goes is about as big as it gets at the Garden On Thursday night when the Carolina Hurricanes, who are currently in second place behind the Rangers in the Metro Division, are coming into town. We know the Rangers have had some battles with the Hurricanes over the years. And so we're going to have on the show this week to discuss the matchup and preview the game a little bit. Walt Ruff, who is a reporter for the official Carolina Hurricanes website. So a lot of different stuff to discuss. But... Let's start with the games themselves, this road trip, which turned out to be not only a memorable road trip, but a historic road trip for the Rangers and also a cold one. Of course, we're in Calgary and Edmonton and these places that are freezing cold and it's snowing and I'm shivering. And meanwhile, I'm hearing from my wife and I'm hearing from my friends back at home about how warm it is. My friends are sending me photos and stuff from the golf course meanwhile i'm out there in a jacket trudging through snow and then we come home and now it's pretty damn cold in new york as well so just my luck we brought the cold weather back with us but aside from that it was a very enjoyable road trip not just for myself with seeing some of these cool canadian cities and getting some great meals and having some fun on the road but especially for the rangers and certainly from your perspective more importantly for the Rangers. The trip started when we spoke at this time last week with three fairly convincing wins. They beat the Kraken, they beat the Flames, they beat the Oilers. None of those games were ever really in doubt. The Rangers came out on this trip playing really well, especially that Seattle win. To me, that was the highlight of the trip for them. That still stands as their most complete performance, I believe, through the first nine games of this season. I don't think many people would argue that. They never quite put together a performance that thorough for the next four games of the trip, yet they kept finding ways to win. I wrote this the other night. It reminded me a little bit It's still early. We have a long way to go before we start making comparisons from one team to the next year, that sort of thing. But it reminded me a little bit of what we saw in the 21-22 season when the Rangers just seemed to have that resiliency gene. They just seemed to find ways to win in all kinds of situations, some dire situations, some situations where it looked like they were going to lose. They would all of a sudden flip the script and find a way to win that game. And, And that's certainly what happened, especially at the end of this road trip. The final two wins had that feel to them, I thought. Vancouver, which is where they played on Saturday night, that was actually my last stop of the trip. The first two periods of that game were actually 
pretty boring. Maybe the most boring periods that we've seen so far this season. Not a whole lot of excitement, not a whole lot going on, especially five-on-five play. It seemed like neither chance had much going. Peter Laviolette called it low-event hockey, and I would certainly concur with that assessment. But that was followed by probably the most chaotic third period that we've seen so far in this young season. Tyler Myers, defenseman for the Canucks, scores a shorthanded goal to put them ahead with about 10 minutes left in the game. But then Vancouver takes a couple bad penalties, and the Rangers make them pay. They score a pair of power play goals, including Mika Zibanejad's, I say, long-awaited first goal of the season. only took him less than eight games. For most guys, that's not that big of a deal. But someone who scores as much as Mika has in recent years It was weighing on him. He admitted as much after the game that it was frustrating. And we saw him earlier on the trip hit a couple posts, have some of those one-timer opportunities that sort of have become his signature and not be able to convert them. So there was definitely some frustration on Mika's part. And he's able to help the Rangers out and help them ultimately go ahead in that game, 3-2. to But then the Canucks score again with a couple minutes left in the game. And they send the game to overtime. So now you're like, man, I don't even know what to think about this one. I can tell you the story that I was working on on the fly was an absolute jumbled mess because we kept going from, oh, the Rangers look like they're going to win. Wait, actually, now they're going to lose. Wait, oh, here we go again. So (laughs) it was quite an interesting experience from that perspective. But then they get to overtime. And the start of that overtime, I think everybody was especially that one drive to the net. I'm the name of the player is escaping me at the moment. My, my brain is kind of scrambled still, but Igor makes a couple huge saves early on in that overtime to keep the Rangers in it. And then ultimately Keandre Miller wins it with the walk off with the sudden death victory in Vancouver. The locker room was pretty jubilant after that guys definitely felt like, well, that wasn't our best, but we, we found a way to get it done. And the winning streak continues Then they move on to Winnipeg. The Blake Wheeler return game was, of course, the the main headline going into that one. I had had a chance to talk to Wheeler earlier on in the trip, a couple games before we got to Winnipeg, and we were talking about something completely separate. But at the end of it, I said to him, so are you getting a little anxious for this first game against your old team? And he kind of looked at me with this smile, and he goes, oh, yeah, this game is not going to be like the rest. There's definitely a different feeling going into this one. Some guys would try to downplay it a little bit, but he wasn't hiding from the fact that that game meant something extra to him. I'm sure it added to it that he had his entire family flying in to be there for the game, and he talked about the deep ties that his family has to that game. He had described to me during training camp that when you play in a small community like Winnipeg, and you play there for as long as he did, that you look into the stands and you recognize your dentist or your kid's pediatrician or your next-door neighbor. It's just that tight-knit feel. And it sounds like it was definitely difficult for his kids in particular, I think, to leave some of the friends that they had pretty much known their whole lives because that's where they were born and raised. So you definitely could sense all of that weighing on him going into that game. And I thought first period he was pretty active. He was really trying to get involved I think the Rangers had 10 shots on goal in the first period, and he had four of them. He doesn't get that big triumphant moment. He's still looking for his first point. He's admitted that he's not feeling completely comfortable yet, and certainly I don't think anybody thinks he's been playing great yet. But as far as the game itself and the Rangers, well, they end up walking out of that one feeling pretty good. 
to close that road trip with their fifth straight win, and it took another third-period comeback for it to happen. They get a power play goal from Chris Kreider that sent the game to overtime, and then they get that penalty from Ryan Lindgren at the very end of regulation that carried into overtime. Really a phantom call, flatly a bad call, I think, by the referees. Mason Appleton, the forward for the Winnipeg Jets, was skating along the boards and just sort of lost his balance or lost his footing and fell. But the refs called a trip on Ryan Lindgren. And I think especially looking at that replay, I didn't see any kind of a trip. So I know the Rangers took issue with that call. And it was a really unfortunate break for them because it sent them into overtime having to play down a man four on three. Yet their penalty kill was so good as that road trip went on. Their special teams was so good as that road trip went on. The power play's really been good all season. I think it's goals in eight of the nine games so far on the power play for the Rangers, and they get that penalty kill, and then they go on to win it. Mika, after that little drought that he had to begin the season, scores for the second straight game. This one gives the Rangers another walk-off win, completing the historic five-game sweep and sending them home with... A really good storyline with a, a really happy team, I'm sure, on that plane. So you got to feel good about where they are right now. I'm sure for you guys, if you were able to stay up late enough to watch all of those games, that it was a really exciting experience. They're in a great place as far as the standings concerned. Obviously, a very long way to go here. But I think those games really highlighted what's been going well for the Rangers early on in the season. I mentioned the power play. It's humming. They are second in the league going into these games on Wednesday night, which is the day we're recording. I believe they're converting it close to a 35% clip, which is very impressive. And a lot of those goals, as I touched on, were really in clutch situations. Back against the wall, you need to score a goal to force overtime, and the Rangers were able to do it in two consecutive games to finish off that road trip when you know they were feeling the grind of it. You know they were run down from playing all those games and bouncing around in all those different time zones. So special teams certainly was a huge factor in being able to sweep that road trip. The goaltending as well has been really good for the Rangers in the early going. We talked last week about Jonathan Quick. Igor, to me, also finished the road trip pretty strong, made some big saves. He allows some goals in some of those games, no doubt. Maybe not his A-plus effort yet, but same as we talked about with the power play where a clutch situation, you come through for the team. Igor, I thought, did that quite a few times in those last couple games. Him and Quick have now combined for a 924 save percentage this season, which is certainly one of the better duos in the league. And then we talked about this a bit last week, but it bears repeating. The defense has really made a fairly stark turnaround from what we saw the last few seasons. We know turnovers were a big issue. This stat really stood out to me. Last year, the Rangers ranked as the second to worst team in the league with an average of 10 giveaways per game. This season, they are second overall in the league. So they've jumped from the bottom to the top and they're averaging fewer than five giveaways. It's like 4.6 or something like that giveaways per game. So they've cut their giveaways more than in half so far this season, which I think has really helped reduce some of those odd man rush opportunities against. I know that's been a main point of emphasis from head coach 
Peter Laviolette. And we also talked about the 1-3-1 one, one, and then the situations where they, instead of going into the 1-3-1, one, one, they send a second four checker up ahead into the offensive zone and the way that they've been able to keep opposing teams on their toes with that and create turnovers and clog the neutral zone and make it difficult for them to pick up any speed in transition. So all of that has been highly effective. Just in general, the Rangers' shot suppression has been much better than what we've seen in the last few seasons. They right now rank second in the NHL in both goals allowed per game. They're averaging exactly two goals allowed per game, which is an excellent number. And they're second in the league in shots allowed on goal per game. So overall, defensively, the Rangers have been really solid. The structure that LaViolette has implemented and the nuances in this system have really been paying off for the Rangers, and they've stuck. Early on, what we're seeing is this system plays pretty well for this team, at least from a defensive standpoint. And that leads me to the final point that I want to make before we get to Walt Ruff. And that is that I found it telling that throughout the road trip and now again on Wednesday following their first practice back in New York, that LaViolette has been harping on the main area that he thinks and I think we all think that they can still improve upon, and that is their five-on-five offense. I wrote about this extensively in a story that went up on loha.com slash sports slash rangers on Wednesday afternoon, so I would encourage you guys to check that one out if you haven't had a chance yet. But offensively, the Rangers have been very reliant on the power play, which it's great if your power play can convert at the rate that the Rangers are converting it right now, but the sustainability of that is what I worry about a little bit. And we saw last year, the Rangers would run into these ruts where it just felt like a slog for them at five on five. It felt like they just weren't able to consistently generate enough offense at five on five, which most of the time, that's where the majority of the game is played. I'll just rattle some of these stats off for you that I included in that story. Going into Wednesday night's games, the Rangers ranked 28th in the league in goals per game per 60 minutes. They ranked 29th in shots on goal per 60 minutes, 26th in expected goals per 60 minutes, and 30th in high danger chances per 60 minutes. So pretty much any offensive category that you look at as far as five on five is concerned right now, the Rangers are very close to the bottom of the league. Now, They've taken a lot of penalties. Their opponents have taken a lot of penalties, especially in these last few games. So that's going to give them fewer opportunities in those situations. But I'm not talking about per game stats here. I'm talking about per 60. So that's an average over any 60 minutes that they play. And again, they're really kind of at the bottom of the barrel in the league in a lot of those categories right now. Artemi Panarin has been excellent. He's been dynamic, I think, in all situations. I think there's been some nights where his line is really, really good. Other nights where his line hasn't been quite as good, but he's also been excellent on the power play. So he has been the driving force of offense. And Chris Kreider is doing his usual thing, especially with the power play goals around the net. But 
There's a lot of other guys that you feel like you want to see more from. Capo Caco and Philip Hedel, you still feel like you haven't gotten a whole lot of offensive contributions from them, aside from that one three-assist game that Hedel had. That third line of Trocek, Cooley, and Wheeler, I believe they still have not, as a trio, produced a five-on-five goal. Mika Zabanajad is still looking for his first five-on-five goal. So there's just a lot of guys who you feel like you want to get them going a little bit more right now. And for LaViolette, he talked about this today. A lot of it comes from not offensive zone time, not having enough possession, because the Rangers are doing that. They rank pretty highly, especially if you look at that new NHL Edge page, which I've been playing with a little bit in the last couple of weeks. It tracks zone time. And the Rangers rank pretty highly as far as total offensive zone time. But within that offensive zone time, Where are they getting their shots from? Where are they getting their scoring chances from? And that's where they sit in the bottom half of the league as far as getting those net front opportunities, getting those shots from the slot, or getting those shots from the inside halves of those two circles down in between the goal line and the blue line. That's where you want your scoring chances to come from. Not only is that where you want you know, any typical one-timer or wrist shot, or you want to get into situations where you're shooting from those areas, but also those greasy goals that we know Gerard Gallant used to talk about all the time, and I know Peter Laviolette wants to see them score more of as well, where you're creating screens, you're creating chaos, you are making it difficult for opponents around their own net, and that's going to give you your tips and your rebounds and your deflections. Kreider can't be the only guy doing that, and the Rangers haven't been getting enough of that from everybody else. So LaViolette told us after Wednesday's practice that it sounds like the very first team meeting they had coming off of this 5-0 and road trip was, let's address the elephant in the room. Let's address the main thing that I think we need to do better, and that is generating more offense. He wants them to attack more. He keeps using that word, attack and push. Don't sit back. You don't have to sacrifice defense to play good offense. He made that very clear today. And that is the next step for this team. And I think it's an important step for the Rangers because, again, the power play has been coming through for them a lot. The goaltending has been coming through for them a lot. The defense, you got to be really pleased with what you're seeing as far as how they've improved there. But if you want to be a complete team, if you want to be a Stanley Cup contending team, which is what we know they're striving for, then you can't be complacent. You can't rest on your laurels. You can't be satisfied just because you're winning games. You have to still critically analyze where can we get better. And and that next step for them is certainly generating more at five on five. And it sounds like that's how LaViolette opened their team meeting today. And that was a big topic of conversation in his press conference with the media today. So curious to see how the Rangers respond, and I'm curious to see, especially as they get more familiar with the way that LaViolette wants them to play, if we do see improvements in those areas, because I do think, especially in the playoffs, it's going to be really important. You can't rely always on winning a low-scoring game or winning on special teams, because sometimes you're not going to have as much special teams time, and sometimes in those really low-scoring games, a bounce one way or a bounce another way can be very costly. We saw that all through 
those 2010s era when Henrik Lundqvist was standing on his head and the Rangers were going on these deep runs. But eventually, when you're playing that black and blue style, when you're having to really grind out these wins, these grueling wins, it wears on you. So if you can open things up and put up a crooked number every now and then, that's going to help your cause quite a bit. And again, that is what the Rangers are striving for to me. And I think certainly to Laviolette and the players, that is the next step. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Again, they have this game coming Thursday night at Madison Square Garden with the Hurricanes coming to town. This is going to be a big test for them, and we're going to see if they can dig deep. I'm not going to name names here because I'm pretty sure it's across the board, but just talking to some guys in the locker room after Wednesday's practice, they're pretty gassed right now. I'm pretty gassed right now. I didn't even go to Winnipeg, but – That bouncing around of the different time zones and and dealing with the cold and dealing with all the flights and me in particular, I had some really early mornings where I had to get up at like 5 a.m. to go catch a flight and I'm coming off of a game the night before. So maybe I'm sleeping at most three or four hours that day. And the Rangers do a lot of these late night flights right after the game and they're getting home at four in the morning or getting to a hotel at four in the morning and barely getting any sleep the next day. You do that for 11, 12 days in a row, it really wears on you. So I'm curious to see what their legs look like at MSG because Wednesday, talking to guys after practice, they did not have a super long practice. I think LaViolette knows they need to start to recharge the batteries right now. Talking to guys after practice on Wednesday, they're still feeling the effects of that long West Coast trip. So curious to see against a high-flying team like Carolina how that's going to play out. If they dig deep and pull out another win, well, that will just be another check mark you can put in that resiliency box for the Rangers. But they'll definitely be up for the game. I know they're excited for it. I just know they're going to have some heavy legs as well. So let's talk a little bit more about that game. Let's get to our guest this week, and then I'll be back after this conversation to answer some of your Twitter questions. But first, let's hear a bit from our buddy, Walt Ruff. Now let's welcome back into the show a returning guest, a man who knows the Rangers' next opponent as well as anyone, and that would be Walt Ruff, who is the official team reporter. You can find him on the Carolina Hurricanes official website, all over Twitter. He's the man to follow if you're looking for Hurricanes-related updates. So, Walt, how are you doing? Sounds like you guys got back to Carolina after a late night in Philly, and now you're getting ready for the trip to New York. So busy as I know all of us are at this time of year. Definitely, definitely. Well, first, Vince, thank you for having me on again. I really appreciate it. This is uh, always a really fun and a huge matchup to talk about. Um, yeah, a little bit of a late one a couple nights ago coming back here. It's a, an interesting gap between games for the Hurricanes. Um, most times, a lot of people would think they'd go Philly to New York straight. Um, but with the off day on Tuesday, the team elected to come back, practice, and then a travel day Wednesday. So, uh, yeah, but we're, we're all really looking forward to this one and uh, should be a great game. So just tell us, we'll start a little general and then I'll hone in on some specific questions. One, three in a row, obviously a team that's had a lot of success. How many division titles is it in a row now for Carolina? 
three consecutive division titles in a row, but the first one during the COVID shortened season came in the central division. A lot of people forget that. one. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is true. So two straight in the Metro we'll yep. say, and obviously they've been a primary opponent, a primary rival for the Rangers in the last couple of years. One of the best teams in the league, no doubt. So they've won three in a row now. So what do you sense around the team as far as how they feel about the way they're playing? Well, thankfully, steps forward have been taken over the last three games, because if we were having this conversation last week, Vince, I think I'd have a lot of a different tone to the team. Um, It's been honestly an atypical and chaotic start. I think we're starting to see some of that settling in now. Um, The team is now six and four, but this time last week we were in Tampa coming off of a third consecutive defeat. It was a three and four start Um, that was a bit of a head scratcher within itself the team has always had strong starts under rod brindamore you'll remember a few seasons ago they came out of the gate 9 and um and like we were just discussing before we got rolling here not a lot changed for the carolina hurricanes um they felt that the team was deeper and a little bit better after free agency of course they bring in dimitri orlov who was probably the most coveted free agent on the market you had michael bunting um and not a lot went by the wayside and that's no disrespect to former Ranger Derek Stepan and Paul Stastny, but um, those were veteran guys who were at the tail end of their career and they felt like they brought in upgrades um, over both of those guys. So for the team to start the way that they did, uh, there was some frustration amongst the group, but over the last three games, we've started to see the Hurricanes settle into more of their identity, that defense first style of play. So things are trending in the right direction, which adds another layer of why this should be such a great game Thursday night. Well, you, you touched on it, the roster. You know, I look at it now, and to me, it, it's been a good roster for years, obviously, but not a ton of star power. I mean, obviously, there's some big-time players here, but they do it with a very collective approach. We know they all really buy into that Rod Brindamore system and come at you in waves and play a really fast, aggressive style of hockey. And you added some guys who I think really fit that mold. Michael Bunting, who had a really nice run for a little while in Toronto, comes over. He certainly seems to be a Rod Brindamore type of guy. They signed him in free agency, could play in the top six, certainly a a guy who you're very comfortable with in the top nine. You mentioned Orlov, who I believe has been on the third pair so far, so that decor looks incredibly deep once again. Tony D'Angelo, a guy that we're familiar with who – had defensive struggles in New York, had some serious struggles in Philly, but for whatever reason seems to fit like a glove in Carolina. And on top of all that, arguably their most dynamic player in Andre Svechnikov comes back from that ACL tear the other day. So the lineup is, itself, to me, looks overall much deeper. I mean, do you size it up the same way? How do you see some of these additions fitting in? Agree, totally. And I think this first 10 game stretch has been figuring out who is going to be playing where. Um, as you mentioned, the team was without Andrei Svechnikov the first couple of games. There was a lot of hope and optimism that he wouldn't be ready for opening night, but or that he would be ready. Excuse me. Uh, the team opted to take the safe approach. He missed the first handful of games. So they kind of started the season with what they thought things would look like. But then, of course, you add Svechnikov, who's a bona fide top six guy, no questions. That led to some more shuffling. Same thing on the back end. Dmitry Orlov is playing third. Um, the time on ice has been pretty evenly spaced out on the blue line, but What's been the difficulty with Orlov is figuring out who he's going to play with. Um, The Carolina Hurricanes have had a pretty set top four for the last couple of seasons in 
what used to be Dougie Hamilton, Tony D'Angelo became Jacob Slavin and Brent Burns. That was a staple for almost all 82 games last season. Brady Shea and Brett Pesci have been playing almost every single game together for the last three seasons together. So those guys aren't going to be broken up. But then you had the interesting component of Jalen Chatfield, who became kind of that second chance prospect every night defender last year. And for the first handful of games of the season, he was the odd man out. There were a couple 11 and seven games, but it's been fine tuning and figuring out who's playing where now. Unfortunately, Brett Pesci is going to be out of the lineup due to a lower body injury until at least mid-November. It might be late November till he comes back. Um, so that's allowed the door to open for Orlov and Chatfield to play together because D'Angelo slides up next to Brady Shea. So again, this first stretch of games has been figuring out what the lineup is going to look like when everybody's healthy. There hasn't been more than two games in a row where they've had that happen. So it's still a work in progress, um, but it will, it will be refined over time. Yeah. I mean, blue line got to be one of the deepest teams in the league uh, as far as defensemen go, but Svechnikov, I wanted to touch on him. How has he looked early on to you? And, and when he is at the top of his game, I guess it would probably be him and Aho for the most dynamic forwards in this lineup. I mean, what can you tell fans about what he adds to this lineup and what they were missing last year when they didn't have him? Yeah. The way he's being defined, I guess, as his career progresses and he's only 23, 24 years old now, but He's becoming kind of the new era NHL power forward. And I it's funny, when I think of power forward in the NHL, I think of Blake Wheeler for a long time. He's a, a big guy, right, who plays the wing heavy but can also score. Um, Andre's obviously not quite as big as Blake Wheeler, I believe, but he's not afraid to go into the corners. He shoots the puck very well. Uh, won the fastest skater competition last year. And make of that what you will. I know that the NHL All-Star Game and their skills competitions will – an interesting subject over the years, but um, <laughs> Andre is a key component to this lineup unquestionably. Now, what I will say is that Rod Brindmore has a strong history of easing guys back into the lineup, as I'm sure many other coaches around the league do. But um, we saw the same thing with Max Pacioretty during his brief sample last year. So Andre Svechnikov has been on the quote-unquote fourth line, if you will, for the first two games of his return. He's been playing alongside Jack Drury and Stefan Nason, and I don't think that will be the case forever. I think it's just to get Andre back into the game flow of things, but Rod Brindamore even admitted himself that Andre looks probably a lot further along than he thought he would be coming off of a major injury like an ACL tear. Um, Andre made a fantastic pass-first play for the game's first goal to Monday night, excuse me, in Philadelphia, which was a little bit of a rarity, I'll be honest, because Andre's such a shoot-first guy. Um, he made such an incredible playmaking ability to get the puck over to Steph Nason for, again, the game-opening goal. But when he's healthy and when he's firing on all cylinders, he is a game-changing type of player, not only because he can score, but because he's not afraid to hit either. Anyone else in that forward group jumping out to you so far? Because I know there's some relatively young guys who seem like they're maybe ready to take the next step and make this lineup look even deeper than it is. And as we just touched on with Sveshnikov now, it looks you know really pretty deep. Yeah. Martin Natchez, who had a tremendous bounce back 22-23 season, appears to be picking up right where he left off. Um, it's another contract year for him. What's the interesting part about that is he admitted during the 21-22 season that the contract 
looming situation really played a negative impact on him. So everybody's kind of wondering how that's going to go again this time around, but led the team in points last year is having a really nice start to his season. But the perhaps bigger surprise is Tavo Teravainen. Um, eight goals and one assist, or eight goals and two assists, excuse me, through the first 10 games of the season. I don't think that anybody could have possibly predicted that. Uh, Vince, this was a player at the end of the year last year where at season exit interviews, just looked down, defeated. Um, he had lost an important family member to him. His season was not where he wanted to be. He got his hand broken during the playoffs. It was really a, a catastrophe of events for Tavo Teravina, but he has come out of the gate on fire to start the year, had a hat trick against San Jose last week. So he's the guy who everybody's really looking at on offense right now, and it's really nice to see him flourishing the way that he is. Yeah, Terrifying is a guy that I like. In the playoffs, I thought he was a real handful for the Rangers to deal with and in the regular season meetings as well. He's kind of one of those sneaky guys, a real solid forward for them. Doesn't get as much attention as Svechnikov or Ajo, but, but definitely looks like an up-and-comer. So a, a solid forward group as well. Again, the star power doesn't blow, blow you away when you look at the lineup, but when you start to really understand the depth of this lineup, I think it looks like they're going to be a really tough opponent. Certainly, in my mind, one of the true cup contenders along with probably the Rangers and the Devils. I think when you look at, at this Metro division, I guess the one thing people always question a bit when you look at the hurricanes is the goaltending and they don't have big names there either, but they haven't been a team that's really gone out and pursued big free agents at those spots or big trades at those spots. But it seems like they're pretty comfortable with the Tamden that they have of Anderson and Ranta. Like, do you see those guys sort of, Anderson maybe being the guy they lean on a little bit more, but they're sort of equally comfortable with both of them. Yeah, it is a fascinating situation. It really is because both Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta were unrestricted free agents this summer. You've got Pyotr Kochetkov coming up in the system, who I know a lot of folks are starting to become familiar with. Um, again, only 23 years old for him. He appears to be the future in net. He played 24 games already. So I think a lot of people maybe expected that he would be the number two this year. I, I admit I will at least thought that that was going to be the case, but they bring back both guys, as you alluded to, and Don Waddell and Rod Brindamore have not been shy of saying health is the number one issue when it comes to Frederick Anderson and Auntie Ranta. We've already lost Frederick Anderson for a slew of games to start the year. He missed nine days after taking a puck to the mask in San Jose back and healthy now and he looked fantastic on Monday night in Philadelphia so that was a really good thing to see I should say fantastic over the 40 minutes the first period was maybe not what he wanted it to be um, and again you look at their numbers and nothing's really jumping off the uh, you know off the plate here because Anderson is 4-0 but I believe he's still maybe flirting with that 900 and save percentage and of course you'd hope he's going to be a little bit higher than that it's earlier in the season so things are still going to work out over time but can you keep those guys healthy? That's the question. And where they both benefit is that we know Carolina just doesn't give up a whole lot. We talked about their blue line. Um, they are consistently in the top five year in and year out in the fewest shots on goal allowed per game. Seldomly do they ever give up more than 30. So that's where you just ask the goaltenders to make the saves that they can. You hope that you're not giving up too many high danger chances, too many rebounds. Um, but they've been able to to do a nice job over the years for the Carolina Hurricanes. And as far as 
how they handle the rotation moving forward when they're healthy. It's basically just been every other guy, every other game. Sometimes they'll flip-flop the rotation, but um, again, health is the big the big question with those guys. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just look at the stats and and you have, looking at quickly here, Anderson's at the top of the board with an 888 save percentage. But the goaltending, I think a lot of people would look at is probably if you're going to highlight a weakness on this roster, that would be it. But as you touched on, the way that they play in front of them, these guys don't face as many shots as a lot of goaltenders around the league. And Anderson has had some stretches in his career where he's been really solid. So obviously they are comfortable, I think, with the situation they're in because they decide to spend their free agency money elsewhere. The real X factor, we've we've kind of dissected every position here, is I think the system that this team runs. And it seems like even when they do deal with injuries or even when they do have some roster turnover, Rod Brindamore is able to just plug and play guys and have a lot of success with that. So I guess that's the last thing I want to touch on here. Brindamore has been there for uh, quite a bit of time now. I know he has strong ties to that area in Raleigh. To me, one of the best coaches in the NHL, hands down, what can you describe from just being around the team every day, from getting to know the coach and seeing how the players interact with him and you know how he implements that system? What is it about him and that system that's made them so effective and, and has enabled them to maintain their status as one of the top teams in the NHL for a handful of years now? Yeah, it's the, uh, the sixth season of the Rod Brindamore era already in Raleigh. And the best way to describe it, and I don't mean this in any demeaning way, is that When it's done correctly, it's almost robotic. There are five guys on the ice all trying to play the same way. Like you lose, you use the reference already. It's wave after wave. There is no difference from the first line to the fourth line, the way that they're going to play the first pair to the third pair. Everybody has got to be on the same page, doing the same thing at the same time in order for it to be effective. Now, where I will bring up it presents some challenges is that players are not abashed to say that this can be a difficult system to adjust to off the bat. Um, I don't believe that the Canes met the Rangers this early in the year last year because Brent Burns in his first year, he struggled in his first month as a Carolina hurricane last year, the month of October was not great for Brent Burns and he got more comfortable discussing it as the year went on because Again, it's so difficult to assimilate to the way that this team wants to play because it has to be done correctly. Rod Brindamore, when he starts to get a little bit frustrated, he will say, listen, we can have four out of five guys doing the right thing, but if one guy's in the wrong, that's when it starts to look all wonky. And he's already said that after losses already this year. So everybody has to be doing their role correctly in order for it to be effective. And we're seeing some of that this year with Dmitry Orlov. Um, better days are ahead for Dmitry, but there have been times already this season where He's still showing his adjusting period, and that's led to some hiccups for the group. Again, it was only about a month for Brent Burns last year where he had his challenges. And um, I think, again, we're working through that with Dmitry Orlov right now. Times will be better ahead, but when it's done correctly, as you said, uh, it's, it's pretty tough to beat. Yeah, it, it really is impressive because last year with the injuries that they had, especially losing Svechnikov for the season, I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe this is the year where they take a little bit of a step back, but they still go on and they win the division and they still go on a run to the Eastern Conference final. So always a threat that will make it extra fun when they meet on Thursday night at Madison Square Garden. As I said, I don't know if you disagree. I'm, you know, I feel like most people around the league probably see it the same way, but that three team race 
that should materialize over the course of the season between the Rangers, Devils, and Hurricanes. Looks like it could be a lot of fun. And again, to me, probably three of the top 10 teams in the league. Totally. I couldn't agree more. I think the Metro is going to be really fun to watch this year. It's super early. Uh, This is just the second Metro game of the season for the Carolina Hurricanes, getting the first one out of the way Monday night. I know that the Rangers are coming in scorching hot after handling business out West, uh, which was where the Hurricanes struggled a couple weeks ago. They went two and four on their trip out West. So you look at some of the differences between these two teams and now it'll finally be fun to see them go head to head. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Walt, thank you so much. Definitely check him out on Twitter. At uh, Is it Walt underscore Ruff? Nope, just Walt Ruff. At, at Walt Ruff. And definitely check him out on the Carolina Hurricanes official website. Walt, I'll see you on Thursday night. And thanks again for the time. Sounds good, Vince. Thank you. Welcome back, and thanks again to Walt for taking some time to come on the show in between some of his travels with the Hurricanes. Again, definitely looking forward to this one. To me, the games that I'm circling on the calendar this season for the Rangers are anytime they're playing the Hurricanes and anytime they're playing the Devils, I think those are probably the two biggest measuring sticks for them in this division. And therefore, those games are going to be really interesting, I think, in determining the outcome of the division and determining where they're going to stand once we get into these playoffs. Because good chance that the Rangers will have to go through at least one, if not both, of those teams to get to where they want to go. And as I mentioned to Walt, I liked a lot of the moves that the Hurricanes made during the offseason. You guys might remember there was an initial report that they were close to signing Vladimir Tarasenko, which would have added even more firepower into this lineup. But I think signing Bunting, signing Orlov, even though I know he's a controversial figure around these parts, Tony D did exactly what they needed him to do during his time there. Their defense is so solid that they can withstand his deficiencies there to have a guy who performs like he does on the power play and can produce points from the blue line. And then on top of that, the biggest thing for them is getting Svechnikov back. He has been at times, I think, their most dynamic player. I think there's tremendous upside there, so much talent and size and skill And if you have him healthy and going on top of a lineup that already looks deeper with some of the signings they made, there's a lot to like there. For me, a lot of times the question comes down to goaltending. They're able to overcome that because of how good they are in front of the goalie. But that's the type of team where you feel like, man, if they ever really got a lockdown goalie on the back end, that would have to be a cup favorite, I would think. They still, I think, are a serious cup contender, but we'll see exactly where they stand in this head-to-head matchup with the Rangers on Thursday. So because that was one of the bigger games, I wanted to have someone on to discuss that, and we might have someone on to talk about the Devils a bit as well at some point this season. Now, though, let's move on to this week's set of Twitter questions, and we're going to start with this first one from Michael Anthony, who wrote, Vince, regarding Kako, Great analysis, but analytics are not my thing. That's fine. Jack Hughes had a two-game stretch with seven assists, back-to-back games, no less. Michael goes on to ask – oh, I think I forgot to copy part of this question. Michael goes on to ask, Capo has one goal on the season. What will it take for him to be more aggressive with his shot? What is holding him back? 
Well, this thought occurred to me the other day because I agree Kako has not gotten off to the start that he wants to. That's certainly the sense that I've been getting from him in the locker room as well. He, as I've told you guys before, absolutely relishes the chance to play with Zabanajad and Kreider. He believes that's the best spot for him. I think he's lobbied to play in that spot before as well. And last season, he felt like he was playing well there, and then the the plug kind of got pulled on him. This year, I think he's worried now because he's not playing all that great. Now, LaViolette, to his credit, and I wrote about this as part of a story I did on, I think, the impact that LaViolette is making earlier this week. He hasn't touched the lineup, and he's not planning on touching it anytime soon. He did note today that when you're winning, it's easier to be patient, but I think he did sense from the players that some consistency and giving them some time to work out kinks and build chemistry and get rolling was going to be important to them. It was going to mean a lot in the locker room. And because the results have largely been there, he's allowed them to stay that way, and they will be that way, it looks like, for game number 10 of the season against Carolina. But with all that being said, we talked at the beginning of the program about the lack of five-on-five offense. And ultimately, for these lines to really stick around for the long haul, they're going to need to pick their game up in that regard. And Kako's line is right near the top of that list. Kako, as Michael mentioned, only has one goal so far this season. Mika does not have any goals at even strength. It just felt like that line has not been quite as dangerous as it looked like they were most of the time when they played together last season. And with Kako in particular, we've talked so much about his ability to hold pucks and fight through traffic and still find ways to make plays in these situations where maybe a lot of guys might get smothered or might lose control of the puck. He's really good at holding it down low. A lot of times that means below the goal line or right near the goal line or along the boards. And it's great that he can do that. LaViolette has talked up his ability to do that as well. But the more that I've observed it and thought about it, those spots when he's holding the puck, that reduces him to pretty much only being a passer. And because of that, it seems like he's not getting himself into enough shooting positions. Just look at his shots on goal so far this season. Nine games played, only nine shots on goal. He's only averaging one shot on goal per game so far this season. And that's not enough. This is a guy who I see in practice all the time, has a really, really good left-handed shot. He's got power. He's got accuracy. He can wind up for a big slapper. He can get off a quick wrist shot. I see him working on one-timers all the time. You just don't see him in those positions to use that. It seems like he's either trying to work in those situations below the goal line, along the walls, where he's more of a facilitator and he's forced to kind of fight his way through all this traffic and these hits and stuff. And he's strong and he's definitely gotten really good at doing that over the years, but he either seems to be in a position like that or a lot of times, and I think this is what Gerard Gallant kept beating into him over the years, is I do notice him posting up around the net a little bit more. And while that's good to see, you want to see him attacking those areas, it's not really a shooting position either. I would like to see him more in a spot where maybe he can let go of a one-timer. And playing with Mika, obviously that's Mika's bread and butter, so you're going to defer to him. He's mostly going to be the main outside shooter on that line in a lot of spots. But Kako's a left-handed shooter, Mika's a right-handed shooter, so... You know Kreider is going to be around the net a lot. 
I'd like to see Kako in more of a shooting position, and I definitely would like to see him get more aggressive with shooting the puck because I think it's a strong skill for him. It's just something that he doesn't seem to be using enough. And I think if he could get another couple goals to go in, then all of a sudden things will start rolling. The confidence will start blossoming again because confidence for a lot of young players, and I think especially just from getting to know him over the years, that's a really big thing here as well. I think he tends to be hard on himself and can get a little down on himself when he doesn't feel like he's producing the way that he should be. And then it snowballs a little bit. So it's one of those things where you feel like once it opens up, he should get going in the right direction. But I would just like to see him not thinking of himself quite as much as a passer, as a playmaker, as a facilitator. You want him to do those things. His his strength on pucks is an asset that you want to be able to use, but I just would like to see him get in position to shoot the puck a little more. Get yourself in spots where you know that you're comfortable letting one go and putting a little more pressure on the opposing team that way because nine shots on goal through nine games is just not enough. So that would be the main thing that I would point to as far as Kako and what I think he needs to do better to start opening things up as far as the point production goes. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from Louis Pomerantz, who wrote simply one one sentence at first. The fourth line, Vince, it's the obvious wart on the team thus far. What's your take on how the Rangers feel about it and what possible plans they may have to resolve the issue? I actually noticed you guys had a lot of good questions this week. There's a lot of different topics, but the fourth line might have been the topic that was asked the most, which is a little unorthodox. You don't usually see the fourth line being such a focal point of the weekly questions, but clearly it's on fans' mind. And I understand why, especially if you go and you look at some of these analytical sites, Evolving Hockey, MoneyPuck.com, Natural Stat Trick, and you size it up. There's no question about it that statistically, the Rangers' current fourth line ranks as one of the worst in the NHL, definitely the worst on the team. Now, we talked about this a little bit in the past. I know I've written about this. I think they have to be graded on somewhat of a curve because they're thrown out there in a lot of defensive situations. As Peter Laviolette put it when we asked him about this the other day, They get a lot of the hard shifts and the hard minutes. They're the guys who are out there in situations where they're mostly being asked to block shots and play a lot of defense and be physical and and do a lot of the grunt work that the top three lines aren't going to be asked to do quite as much. So that line is being leaned on mostly defensively. And even though their metrics are not good, I'm not defending that. Overall, the team defense has been really good. So to say that a line whose main responsibility is to play defense and the team is overall playing really good defense, I I find it hard to say, oh, they're the biggest issue on the team right now. To me, as we've talked about repeatedly now, the biggest issue on the team right now is they need to generate more five-on-five offense. And as far as who's responsible for doing that, the fourth line is way down on my list of people that I'm looking for to help solve that problem. So I'm not ready to throw my hands up in the air and say the fourth line is a huge problem. Again, I know what the metrics are. I know it doesn't look good. I know their shot rates and their possession stats and all that are not good. But to me, you can live with that from a line that you know 
isn't out there to score as long as the team is playing solid overall defense, which they are. So over time, could they tweak some things there? Absolutely, especially if the Rangers were to, let's say, acquire a player at the trade deadline or call somebody up from the minors. Let's say Brennan Othman is lighting it up and they decide it's time to give him a chance. Well, then maybe you slide somebody who's in the top nine down to the fourth line, whether that's a Will Cooley or a Blake Wheeler, and maybe that gives them a little more offensive punch. But right now, I think your main options, if you were going to make a change there, obviously would be Tyler Pitlick. And I don't think the results with him out there were all that much better. And that, I think, is certainly the guys that if the Rangers were to make a change, he would be first on the list. Johnny Brodzinski is having a really strong start to the season in AHL Hartford. You guys know that I think he played well enough during training camp to make this roster. He has been a, a high-scoring player in the AHL. Now, has that translated to NHL from what we've seen of him in the past? No, but I do think there's probably a little bit more offense in the tank from him than there is from a guy like Benino or a guy like Pitlick or even a guy like Goudreau. So that's an option at some point where if you really feel like you need to shake it up, you can go to. But honestly, aside from maybe getting Pitlick some more time, I don't think LaViolette has any plans at this point to make drastic changes to the fourth line. Again, if the Rangers were getting lit up defensively and that line was clearly giving up a ton of goals, I know they've given up some, but it's not like a massive number right now. I think the biggest reason their numbers are skewed in a negative way is because they produce literally no offense. Nobody on that line has scored a goal yet this season. So again, I grade them on a little bit of a curve. Could they be better? Absolutely. Is it something the Rangers might look to improve over time, especially as we get closer to the trade deadline? Absolutely. But right now, is the fourth line killing them? I, I do not think so. I Nothing is killing them, quite frankly, because they're 7-2. and two. But if there's a big issue, it's that they need to get more 5-on-5 five five, five five offense going. And again, my finger is pointing at the first line, the second line, even the third line as being responsible for that much more than the fourth line. So... Metrics, analytics, all that stuff, I find it very useful, but I think we need to consider when we're pointing at them, because I see people writing in here that they're the biggest problem on the team. I don't really see it that way. They're, they're not making a ton of glaring mistakes in my eyes, and they're not costing the Rangers any games, and overall team defense is not an issue for the Rangers right now. So the fourth line, I think you can live with it for at least the time being and then adjust and tweak as needed, especially once you get yourself into a position where you have a little more cap space. Right now, the Rangers really don't have much flexibility, so I think they're going to live with what they're getting from that line for at least the next month, two months, three months. Could, could, be, could be a little while, so I wouldn't get myself too worked up over that quite yet. All right, let's get to our final question, which comes from our buddy Michael Silvers, who wrote, Do you think the NHL and NHLPA open up the CBA and implement mandatory neck guards for future players. Current players would be godfathered and given the option. And have you spoken to any Rangers players about them? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. So this is obviously a big topic right now because of the tragic death of Adam Johnson, an American-born hockey player who was playing in England actually last week. And... I made the mistake of taking one look at the video 
where a skate comes up way high. I don't even know how the guy got his skate up that high. And it results in a lethal cut to the neck. Uh, A tragic, tragic situation. I know a lot of people around the NHL are really shaken up by this one. A terrible, terrible thing. You don't even have the right words to say. Obviously, you're thinking about his family, and obviously you you feel so terrible that a kid at that age, 29 years old, could have his life taken from him just simply trying to play the game that he loves. It's a jarring thing. And so I think what that has resulted is, yes, there have been a lot of conversations around the league and within the locker room. It actually came up today with Peter Laviolette, and he said that if guys want to test out different kinds of neck guards and different kinds of protective equipment in practice to see if they're comfortable with it and get a feel for it and maybe potentially advocate for it, he's absolutely open to it. So it sounds like if any of the Rangers do want to experiment with wearing some of these neck guards, that they have the absolute green light and thumbs up from Laviolette to do it. So that was certainly encouraging to hear. Personally, I feel like they need to explore something because even if it's one death that you prevent, that is absolutely worth it. I know that players are typically in favor of playing as loose and free and unrestricted as possible. You get that. I've told this story before. This is, you know, maybe making too much light of this, but I've told this story before that when I played lacrosse in high school, I hated the feeling of wearing the cup because especially I played defense, long pole defense, running around with nothing below the waist but a cup. Like in football, it didn't bother me as much, but in lacrosse, I hated it. It just felt weird to only have a cup down there and it would, you know, sometimes, anyway, I don't want to get too graphic here, but it wasn't pleasant. And so I made the mistake of going a few games without wearing it just to see how it felt. And I learned the hard way that that was a big mistake and then I put it back on. So sometimes you understand, hey, less is less is more. You don't want to wear all this equipment. You, you want to keep it as light as possible, especially when you're trying to perform at your top level. But if it's going to protect you, if it's going to save lives ultimately, then it's absolutely worth it. And I do sense that the players are open to it. I, I think that this was an eye-opening thing for a lot of them. LaViolette said, unfortunately, sometimes it takes a tragedy for these conversations to pick up. But hopefully they are proactive about it. Again, the players seem like just little hearsay that I've heard so far. I can't tell you I've had really in-depth conversations with anybody about it. But just generally speaking, it sounds like a lot of them would be open to it. And some of them have horror stories of their own. I was talking to Jimmy Vesey today, and he reminded me that I think it was his second year in the league. He took a skate to the mouth that knocked out teeth and required a really ended up with a really bad cut that required stitches. And he actually had some initial stitches put in so he could go back into the game. And then he had to take the stitches out afterwards to get the teeth out and then have it stitched up again and couldn't eat anything like other than through a straw for like three days. And it just sounded like miserable. He said it was probably the worst experience that he's had as a hockey player. And he got off easy. I mean, it hit him in the mouth, thankfully, because if it had been any lower and hit him on the neck, he could have been dealing with an even more serious situation. So there are guys that this has happened to. It's a freak thing. It doesn't happen a whole lot. But the fact that it does happen on occasion should, I think, be a wake-up call for everybody. And personally, again, I do hope that they come to some kind of resolution. I do hope that the players take advantage of LaViolette saying that they can experiment with whatever they want at practice. And then through trial and error, 
through seeing how these things feel to wear them, through testing them out in those kind of settings, then hopefully the NHLPA can go to the league and say, look, the players are in favor of X, Y, or Z. They believe that this particular piece of equipment is the best solution to this problem and then take it from there. And I would have to believe that the league will be open to that kind of thing. So I do think that it's being talked about quite a bit right now. And I do think that there is definitely a chance that this is something that does get implemented in the near future. And again, I hope it does because safety should always come first in these situations. And we're talking about uh, literally a deadly weapon. I, I watch them sharpen these skates. I've seen that. I mean, it's incredible how sharp they make these skates. So it's not like it takes a very precise motion to have it be a problem. They're so sharp that even a glance can cause a pretty major problem. So again, I knock on wood, hopefully nobody gets hurt, even if they don't do anything, but you have to prepare, I think in this situation for the worst case scenario. And when it's a matter of life and death, which this quite clearly is, then I think you have to err on the side of caution. And I do think that the players for the most part, at least are open to doing that. So Let's hope that if anything good comes out of this very terrible situation, that maybe it pushes the players more and the league more in that direction. All right. With that, we are going to say goodnight, say goodbye for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I am definitely happy to be back home. My son, when I got home, our first night back having dinner together, said, Daddy, you were gone for too long. So that made my heart melt a little bit. Uh, I'm glad to be home, glad to be back with the family, glad to be back in the swing of things, excited for this game on Thursday night at Madison Square Garden. I feel like I haven't spent a ton of time at Madison Square Garden yet this season, so going to be excited to be back in the building. I hope you guys are having fun. I'm sure you are. If your favorite team is the Rangers, which I assume for a lot of you it is, things have been pretty good so far, and we're going to see if they can continue it. So a lot of fun stuff to talk about, a lot of fun stuff to write about, a lot more content coming your way in the coming weeks. But for now, I wish all of you well. Enjoy the games. Enjoy life in general. I love you all. I appreciate you all, and I will talk to you next week.